The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 95, brought to you by the five folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, I am looking at the analytics of the hashtag jersey number analytics show. Yes. And it's a hit, baby. How you doing? Dude, every day is a good day to be alive. Didn't listen to the number. Think it's 95. Michael Kendricks. Anyway. <laughs> oh, every day is a good day to be alive. Very cheerful. Oh, uh, yeah, we did the jersey number analytics pod, which was an absolute hoot and holler. It was a blast. And also, by the way, matters. I've heard some disparaging comments about the legitimacy of this technique, which I can tell you. Hold significant water. You know, you can do a little T-test over the past 15 years. A little mm-hmm. R-squared value. Other terms I know. Normal distribution. Um, GG plots, all that stuff. Predict success. And and like you said, uh, you said this. If you take this and you take uh, name analytics and you blend yeah. the two together, really, name and, jersey, uh, name and jersey number, only things you need to know about a player to determine whether or not he'll be good at football. And so we were really excited to bring that incisive... Uh, or I should say insightful uh, commentary to you. But no, I'm very well. Uh, I'm trying to adopt a dog, which means nice. I'm just looking at pictures of dogs on the internet during class every day for the past two weeks. It's the best thing I've ever done. I don't even, at this point, I don't even want to make a choice so that I can just continue browsing photos. So I've got a big husky. What kind of dog are you leaning yeah. towards as the favorite? Well, so it's tricky because I've always wanted for my entire life a tank i've always wanted a unit i've always wanted an 80 plus pound dog am i like my yellow lab back home is like she's hefty she's like 60 plus she's part hound so she's big um but i've always wanted like like you know like a, like a boxer or a terry it's got like the wide stance and it's like a whole on yeah. unit um but you know in the new apartment uh with the fiance probably not the best idea because there's just not a, not a ton of room 
So probably something smaller, which we're going to adopt, obviously. And so we're going to get something that's muddy, probably, and not have a super, like, you know, clear choice. Uh, My fiance, Meredith, is convinced we're going to find a corgi to adopt. And I've been trying to break the news that that just doesn't really happen. Yeah. But there there are these Australian shepherds we've been looking at that are really cute. There's some, like, you know, pit bull terrier mixes that are a little bit smaller that are super cute. So we're just going to go. I'm going to fall in love with, like, the second dog I see. I'm going to put my foot down, stamp, and hold my breath until I get what I want. Uh, and then pretty much like I move in June and then by July, if I don't have a dog, I'm gonna start throwing temper tantrums. I can't imagine you going to any place where puppies or dogs are available and you not leaving within 10 minutes with a dog or puppy. It's so funny because when I was, you know, like younger and like, you know, I was never a big dude. Uh, but you would go to like friends' house, people's house you've never been to before, and they'd be like, well, sorry, like we have a dog, like he's big, he jumps. I'd be like, I would be honored to be knocked to the floor by your animal. Like, please release him. <laughs> like, let's do it. I want to be slobbered on. I love dogs with a passion. Mare is trying to convince me that a cat is a better first pet. Huh, uh, no. So there you go. I've got two cats. I've got the Hemingway cats. They got the extra digits, and it's super creepy when they start petting your head, and they've got they've got these huge paws. It's it's crazy. I there's only one sort of cat that i want to get that i'm excited to get and again it goes back to the dog i want a fat so i want a real chubbers i want a chonkers i just want a cat where like the, the tummy drags on the floor and it yeah. just like lays there and looks at you and it's like feed me you imbecile like that that's my that's my that's my vibe of cat right there dog and cat chatter here on the kiston soul show is it the off season it might be yeah, the it's off the season off. It's definitely the it's definitely May, and I actually want to dial back on the before we start talking about the main topics. Let's talk about what those are for a second. First off, we're going to talk about your post for bleedinggreennation.com, which was is the 2019 roster more loaded than the 2017 Super Bowl roster? Which is a good question. We'll break it down. We're also going to break down my post for bleedinggreennation.com that talks about the adjusted games loss which is a metric by Football Outsiders that shows some interesting facts about the Eagles last season before we do that again let's dial back because this is an important show we want to capitalize on the popularity of hashtag jersey number analytics i got a little story here and i promise you this this is going somewhere when i was in a 32 man madden league back around six years ago by the way three super bowl wins six super bowl appearances in eight years no big deal oh so you're worse than the patriots at a video game good point i had a two quarterback system so i'm a stationary pocket passer in madden i don't play it anymore but i was I'm not looking to run around and make plays out of structure unless it's absolutely necessary. I'm looking to work my timing and rhythm throws down the field, take the occasional shot on four verts off play action. So my team that I used was the Bills because the Eagles were taken by a longtime player. Shout out Damo, friend of the show. That was the year that they drafted EJ Manuel. First round pick. Nobody knew he was terrible yet, including the folks at Madden. He recently retired, by the way. Big Ups 2013 QB class. Exactly. Big Ups 2013 draft in general. So look, early on, I had to develop Manuel. So I built the the O-line. I established a dominating run game. Uh, But one thing I did early was draft a quarterback late with great short accuracy, speed, and broken tackle ratings. So EJ Manuel ward number three. This new quarterback that I drafted, who I was going to use on read options because they had just introduced the read option that year and it was a little bit overpowered. So I wanted to incorporate that into my okay. gameplay. So I had this Willie Beeman fellow wear number eight. So incredibly hard to tell the difference just on the number. And then they're like crouched over and it's just it's really not noticeable. So it doesn't jump out at you. Now, the great thing, exact same skin tone. And I edited, you know, their accessories to have the same half sleeve, the same gloves, the same visor, the same sock type, like everything. So they looked exactly the same. And at first, people didn't even notice, but people started checking the box scores of, of guys that I was playing or other people saw it. And they saw the second quarterback 
with like 100 yards rushing a game and they're going, how do you not realize it's a run when this Willie Beeman fellow is in there? Well, you literally had to pay attention every snap to see if there was a quarterback change. So now you're focused in on squinting to see the difference between the three and the eight because everything else is exactly the same and all the other details get missed. So here's how that dovetails with their jersey number discussion with Brandon Lee Gowton, may he forever reign. Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Yeah. Yep. Zach Ertz, 86. Dallas Goddard, 88. Step one. This is my advice. Wear dark visors. Grow the same beard. Mask as much as you can from the neck up, right? Step two. Wear the same sleeves on the same arms, socks, towels, any identifying thing that me and you would use as spotters when we watch film to differentiate them, do it the same. Even your stance. Change your stance if you have to. Make it the exact same. Listen. Step three. As you approach the line, cover the second number with your hand where the six wouldn't connect with the eight. Just tuck the right? left fist under the chin, put the elbow into the gut. It's an eight and it's yeah. something. You don't know. Yeah. Whomst is whomst. Would it work? I, I don't know, but my in my humble opinion, manufacturing twins that play at the same position is a market inefficiency the, that the Eagles the can really exploit with those two. Listen, <laughs> if Julie can tell the difference, it isn't close enough. Work harder. Facial right. reconstruction <laughs> surgery. Let's go. But honestly, like, and I, and I said it half in jest, but it's half legit. And we lost Mike in, so we'll probably or Mike up, so we'll probably never get it. But I really do wonder for the live scouts and charters that are in the booth for the teams that are on the sideline for the opposing teams, if they have a conversation like pre-game, like during warm-ups, being like, "All right, God, it's wearing that sleeve, or it's wearing this sleeve," because it is hard to tell the difference, and they're not even trying. The teams follow me on Twitter because, like you told Brandon, every game after like the first player, whenever I see them. I'll tweet out, okay, Goddard's wearing this. Ertz is wearing this sleeve on his right arm. Right. And then sometimes, like even Jordan Matthews, because he wears sleeves, it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to tell. Mm-hmm. The only thing you can really tell with him if he's wearing the same like accessories was he had that real low bearing stance. Every, I mean, they right. really looked very similar. I mean, we're 80. Like yeah. they all look the same. That, yeah, if you take all numbers away, I could tell you who Alshon Jeffrey was in every single play because of Alshon's stupid yeah. lanky stance where he just like <laughs> puts, like he like yeah. does, barely drops his hips. Then he just like leans his shoulders over and just dangles his arms. He's like, listen, let's be honest. I'm not exploding off the line, and you know that. So let's not (laughs) pretend here, okay? So that is our follow-up discussion on the hashtag Jersey Number Analytics. Remember, you got to listen to the end. You got to listen to the end of that show. Interact with us on Twitter. We'll be doing some more shows like that, some different ideas. We're bouncing off of each other for the offseason, but you guys definitely enjoyed that. So we appreciate you listening in to a super important podcast in all seriousness. But let's get to some Eagles-related things here that we alluded to at the top of the show. Number one, your article talking about the 2017 Super Bowl roster for the Eagles, which going into the season, I remember Doug Peterson saying that it was just as good as the Green Bay Packers team that won a Super Bowl, and everybody kind of chuckled at it, and then they go and win a Super Bowl. Well, this 2019 roster, when you look at the differences between the different positional groups, there are edges to both sides and I think uh, pushes to, to both years. But overall, you have to feel really encouraged about where this team is as a roster or am I drawing the wrong conclusion from your article, Ben? No, so you do. And what it come, and, and, and this is super important because, uh, Mike, I wrote an article that suggested that the 2019 Eagles roster was better than the 2017 Eagles roster. What do you think the majority of Twitter responses were to that article? Something about being injured and... and... All right, it was, well, listen, uh, if Carson Wentz isn't healthy, he didn't even win that Super Bowl. It was Nick Foles. So Carson Wentz isn't going to be healthy and he can't even win a Super Bowl because he wasn't healthy with Nick Foles. Which, like, oh, sweetie, honey. Yeah. Right, so at the end of the article, right, if we fast forward all the way to the bottom... 
like, you know, when we go positionally, it seems that the 2019 roster is better than the 2017 group that won the Super Bowl. Holistically, I'd have to say I agree. If you just look at it from 30,000 feet, um, the team is at overall, it's at, at worst comparable and at the best measurably better at some key spots, right? Yeah. But the 2019 Eagles will go as Carson Wentz goes. And that was a quote that Harry Roseman had about a month ago, which I really, really love. Where Or no, it was, it was, it was a couple weeks ago because it was for uh, WIP, yeah. where he simply said, yeah, like, we're really proud of all the, the changes we made and we came in with not a lot of cap room. We still got some really key free agency signings. We're proud of our draft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the team's going to go as the franchise quarterback goes. And obviously, you like drafting Deshaun Jackson helps Carson, but what matters is whether or not Carson's back and his leg are healthy. And you have quarterback as an edge for the 2017 yeah. roster because of the depth therein. Because right. going from Nick Foles to Nate Sudfeld, obviously if Wentz gets hurt, there's there's a bigger difference there. Now, we didn't know that Foles had that in him in 2017. Exactly. Hindsight is 2020, so that's interesting too. Right, which is why it's super weird because I wrote, like, this is an easy pick, but it's still weird. Because if you look at it, like, with how we conceptualized Wentz, Foles, plus Sudfeld on the practice squad in 2017, and com- like how we thought of it as compared to Wentz 2019, Nate Sudfeld as the backup, and maybe Cody Kessler as a third, or you know whatever, like uh, um, you know Clayton Thorson on the practice squad, whatever it is. Really, like you know, you would say like not a huge difference. You know what I mean? Carson, two years older, obviously two years less healthy. That's something to factor in. So it's probably 2017 then. But knowing what we know about 2017, it has to be 2017, which is tricky, right? Like you know, so it's kind of quarterback as always when you do anything going position by position is just kind of an it's an exemption you always have to look at it through a different lens because of what the position is and and, you know the other thing that we know about 2017 that we don't know about 2019 is that when Carson was healthy in 2017 he was in the MVP conversation for how well he was playing is he going to do that in 2019 like you know he could come back be fully healthy but you know with with some of the passing offenses in this league not necessarily I still think Carson's I still think Carson 2019 MVP is a interesting conversation i really really do i think it's something that we probably can look into i know you hate preemptive mvp conversations with a passion i get what you're saying though because i feel like 2018 was colored a lot by the saints game we talked about it on the qb sco show i thought overall it was a really good year for him and we'll talk about some of the context with winning and losing and injuries and and, and all that stuff but i felt there were some improvements in other areas in his game in 2018 from 2017 right. and just the results weren't there i mean it's so black and white with wins and losses and whatnot but mm-hmm. saying that carson wentz is going to be in the mvp discussion and you know i hate the whole mvp debate but that's projecting a level of play for carson that right. i'm very comfortable with projecting when we talk about mvp discussion what we're really talking we we think we're talking about 100% on field play right but what we're really talking about is like 75% on-field play and 25% narrative structure and team success and da 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 right? right? Which, like, maybe Carson's, maybe Carson, you know, plays at that MVP caliber level, which just makes him a shoe-in for, you know, comeback player of the year. You know what I mean? It's like, these awards, like, have such a huge, like, media coloration and storyline to them that it's, you know, it's like, we're not even talking about MVP caliber play 100% when we talk about the awards. That being said, the reason I bring up potential MVP caliber season is because of the 2019 weaponry on offense as compared to what you had on 2017, right? And so you go, I decided to give running back the edge to 2017 because I think it's easy for us to forget just how good A, Jay is when he's healthy, but B, yeah. how good LeGarrette Blunt was just like randomly right. for one season for us, right? In terms of yep. like 
Blunt was a good player who did good things, but he was surprisingly effective. Uh, you know, and I had that when they were both on the on the team together. Ajay and Blunt both averaged over ten carries per game and over four yards per attempt, and combined the Eagles rushed for over fifteen hundred yards with those two and with Corey Clement and tagged on. Remember, Darren Sproles was injured for this whole season, so he doesn't really come into the calculus. He was only active for three games. But I think if you are expecting the combination of Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders both to tote the ball nine plus times per game and also both average four yards per carry like I think that we know that's what 2017 did if I told you that Howard and Sanders both averaged over nine carries a game and average over four yards per carries you'd be like that's good like that's yeah. like that's better than what we might expect for them which to me means that 2017 is like a better group for them but regardless putting running back off to the side because I think it's a really interesting conversation wide receiver measurably easily better it's undeniable right Alshon and Nelson Aguilar are the two mainstays but you improve on Torrey Smith and Matt Collins you add Deshaun and JJ Arcega Whiteside tight end you go from Ertz final year Brent Selleck and Trey Burton to Ertz Dallas Goddard and Richard Rogers Goddard basically last year produced at the combined level of Selleck and Burton in, in 2017 which like we immortalized Burton a little bit like I thought Burton did more than he did he caught five touchdowns by himself he was really good in the red zone but overall he wasn't really like a huge weapon the way Goddard was and then offensive line Steve Wisniewski was your starter in 2017 he's a backup now Halibuli Vati Vaitai was basically a starter in 2017 after week eight He's OT4 now, right? It's very clear. Like, the starters are pretty much the same, and they got a little bit older, so there's a conversation there, but the depth is so, so, so much better. So offensive line is going to be better for Carson in 2017. Pass catching weapons are going to be way, or it's going to be better in 2019. Pass catching weapons are going to be way better in 2019 as well. So we should expect the infrastructure around him to lend itself to even better numbers. What about what's really important for the Eagles, and that's pass rush? How do you view the difference between the buzzsaw that was the 2017 Eagles pass rush when compared to the 2019 roster, do you think it could be comparable? Yes, really. I mean, bringing Brandon Graham back is is a big plus for that. Plus, he wasn't that healthy last year, so right. I think he's going to have a really solid year. It's really interesting because, you know, I, there were two positions I ended up pushing on, just let them be tied. But defensive end wasn't one of them, even though the top three names are the same. Brandon Graham, Vinny Curry, and Derek Barnett in 2017. Curry was obviously... The, the starter, he had 776 snaps to Derek Barnett's 596. So not too many more snaps that he was the starter. Uh, and this year it'll be Derek Barnett starting. And who knows if Vinnie Curry will hit that 600 snap mark the way that, that Barnett did when he was behind Curry. But either way, the, the top three are the same. You trade out Chris Long and Steven Means for Josh Sweat and, and Sharif Miller. And so the question is, well, is the difference between Sweat and Miller enough to make the change, you know, to, to choose who to pick? But to me, Curry, only three sacks in, in 2017. Barnett obviously had the five. But with Barnett in a starting role, no 2018. Are we positive that 2019 Barnett plus Curry is better than 2017 Barnett plus Curry? And I'm not. Because uh, to right. me, I have Barnett coming back off injury. And I have Curry, obviously, two years older and one year removed. And he's going to be more of a situational player. And then... I do really think Chris Long, especially the 2017 version, was measurably better than Josh Sweat will be in 2019. And yeah. I like Josh Sweat. Yeah. It's easy to forget Chris Long, tremendous backup sort of a player in 2017. 2018, with injury, he ends up taking 744 snaps, right? So mm. that, 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 if Long is gone, which like, you know, Long's talked a lot about his role and, and returning to it. 
that's that edge four is responsible for 744 snaps. Obviously, we had an injury in front of him, but that's a lot of production to replace. And obviously, let's look at 2018 a little bit, but I think it just really highlights how valuable Long was over the past couple of years. So I gave the edge to 2017. I can be swayed on that one, though. Not only production from Long, but like meaningful production, because I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, and I'm going off memory here, so someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but Chris Long, four forced fumbles that year as well right. i just remember Extremely he was productive. he was the second best eagles edge on pass rush productivity from pff it was graham and then yeah. long as the edge four you you've got a lot of projection going on with the 2019 guys obviously curry's a year older brand graham's a year older but then you're looking at will barnett step up and be that guy and this is something that we're going to talk about in the future when it comes to players on the roster the best players on the roster that are under 25 years old and not a rookie, and we're looking for those guys to step up. Derek Barnett obviously being one of those guys. As far as the rest of the roster goes, I think we covered the offense and defense other than the secondary. So when you look at the secondary, given what we think is going to happen with the starting five in the secondary, because again, nickel is the new base, essentially. Do you believe that the starting five is better? And do you believe that the depth is as good or better in 2019? Right. Corner, not even a question, right? You had Ronald Darby for 11 of the 2017 games. So you were starting Jalen Mills, Rasul Douglas in his rookie season, and Patrick Robinson. Rasul's a markedly better player. P-Rob had some really nice moments and turned out well for Philadelphia, but P- the Eagles have Avante Maddox slash Cindy Jones slash Cravon LeBlanc and Nichols, so they're good there. Right. I wasn't even able to list LeBlanc because the Eagles like didn't have enough snaps at corner six in 2017 to include it. Whereas LeBlanc is obviously considered part of this team. Like I had Dexter McDougal for 2017. You remember Dexter McDougal in 2017? I don't. So there you go. I remember in 20,000 to 2019. I don't think he could stand yeah. up, the, like actually right. move without falling. The depth is clearly better in 2019. I think Rasul Douglas is a measurably better player. And I think Ronald Darby being able to be healthy. Cause remember Darby in 2017, was that the year he came back from injury? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. He had the ankle early on either way and then came back later in the season right and i think it was week 11 against dallas that he came back and had a baller game had a really good playoff run until uh brandon cook started putting him in the blender in the Mm -hmm. super bowl but other than that he was excellent i mean against atlanta he was fantastic but yeah good run for him and so you potentially don't have jalen mills as a starter in 2019 which i think will be an improvement because you've you've gotten better on him and you've added Sidney jones avante maddox i think corner is better safety i pushed it because it's Malcolm two years older plus McLeod two years older after injury how much of a drop-off is that compared to how much better is Anderson Deho than Corey Graham and Jalen Watkins well a lot but also I'm not 100% Sandejo's on the roster and so then how much better is Trey Sullivan and you know Godwin Igbeke or Blake Countess over these guys not really you know what I mean and so as long as Jenkins and McLeod are are the starters the position's okay right but you know anybody who's listened to listened to this podcast more than twice knows that if I'm going to take umbrage with any position on the Eagles roster for the past two calendar years, safety three, and it's still, you know, up in the air because it's just the way they do it. It drives me nuts. If I knew 100% Sandejo was going to be on the roster, 2019 easy, but I don't yeah. know that for sure because of the comp pick situation with him. And so I, I pushed that one. Also pushed linebacker mostly because I have no clue what the group's going to look like yet. And that's the thing is like I'm doing this exercise before we have an active 46 before we have a, a locked in 53 and defensive tackle i kind of got i got this question um so i want to address it you know uh you go from fletcher cox timmy jernigan and bo allen to fletcher cox malik jackson and timmy jernigan with like destiny Vale to hassan ridgeway which is like just you know or trevon hester whoever you want and i got asked like well is the difference in jernigan's play enough 
after his injury such that there's a conversation here. And I just think the addition of Malik Jackson makes that a no. Like, it's just, you're going to start Fletch and Malik. They're both really strong interior pass rushers. And Jernigan as your your DT3 is better than Bo Allen's your DT3, even for what Allen improved on to give you as a pass rusher. I mean, even Jernigan at like 70%, I think is still going to be a better player. See, and that's the question, though. Is he 70%? What What is he? We don't, we don't know what he is. We don't I mean, know yeah. how healthy he is. He's a he's a huge unknown. It's true, right? And, but at DT four, I mean, Trayvon Hester, for as much as we doubted him coming into his role last year, played really well in spots. And you know, obviously the the tip ball in Chicago and the double doink and everything like that. But overall, like you watch his you watch his film. I was watching some of his film yesterday. Not bad, man. If that's DT four, and he's fighting it out with Hassan Ridgeway for DT four snaps, who's another a twenty four year old, a young guy. Then yeah, man, I'm all for that depth on the interior of the defensive line. So I think that the -hmm. important thing here is that the Eagles are set up not only with their starters, which we talked about coming into the draft, but also have the depth to be able to withstand things, which is going to be something we're going to talk about after the break. Yeah, no, that's a um, there's an interesting conversation here when you look at defensive tackle and defensive end as a whole, because the question's been posed like, all right, the Eagles defensive end depth isn't what it was. And so how often does Brandon Graham kick inside on rushdowns, which is the Eagles started doing that in 2017. This was that was the year mm-hmm. they started pulling that nonsense. And 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 I think the answer in 2019 is he, he doesn't and they don't want him to because yeah. Malik Jackson is a guy who's gives you more like inside pushing out versatility in terms of he's like, you yeah. know, a sub 300 interior rusher. And so you can get him on the outside a little bit with Fletch Jackson and hypothetically a healthy Jernigan you're going to have two of those three guys rushing from the inside on third and long. And then you're going to be keeping Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett slash Vinnie Curry on the outside. So I think Brandon Graham, he'll obviously get some interior rushes, but I don't think it'll be nearly at the number he did in the past couple of years because they've improved their penetration depth at defensive tackle. Well, when we watched Jackson, I think I remember us saying we like him better as a pass rusher when he's working vertically. There was more inside alignments if if i'm remembering correctly you see a guy whose length is helpful for him and he's got a really great cornering ability and so there is hypothetical like good outside usage so on and so forth but i agree he's at his best as a penetration player and that's how philadelphia is going to use him he's they're going to put him in a gap and tell him go cause problems and somebody else will clean up your mess so final question let's talk about our expectations for the eagles roster and how they match up with the rest of the league. If you were to rank this roster, we'll, we'll give it a ballpark two. unless you want to get really bold. Number two overall two. in the NFL is Ben's take. Who's number one? New Orleans Saints. That team's good. Ooh. That team's you really, said that begrudgingly. That team. Well, I that I was I was doing some work on them, some post draft work, and I was looking through the roster, and I was just like, Jiminy Christmas, this team's got a lot of talent. There's one massive question mark for the New Orleans Saints, and it's is Marcus Davenport actually a thing? If he is, right. team's going to be out of this world. I was going to ask about their pass rush, and I think that's the major question for them. I agree, and we're going to do we're we're going to be doing a whole series, an eye on the enemy series during the summer, talking about some top contenders in the NFC, and the Saints are definitely one of them. So you give them a little prelude of what the Saints roster has to offer, and what made you so doggone impressed with them that you now hate the Eagles. Well, yeah, so I officially hate the Eagles for <laughs> sure. I can, and I don't want to like spoil too much, but I can go to Kansas City. I can go to the Rams, and I can even go to the Patriots, which the Patriots is kind of an asterisk because it's Belichick, and I can circle a positional group or an aspect of play on offense or defense where I say, listen, like they could be in trouble here if X, Y, and Z doesn't pan out. With the Saints, receiving weapons, 
with they add Jared Cook, they add Elise Mack in the draft, who I love. They have Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith, they have Ted Ginn, Cameron Meredith potentially being healthy. And listen, I mean, you saw what Breeze can do when they play the Eagles. Like Keith Kirkwood went for a hundred. Who the fuck is Keith Kirkwood, yeah. right? So I like We're you know, up. is it right? And then running backs, uh, you know, you have Alvin Kamara, and then I think you add a great undrafted free agent in Divine Zigbo. So I think the running backs are locked in, and even if they need to add another body, they can do that pretty easily. Offensive line was the the big potential question adding eric mccoy absolutely huge they trade up to go get him and his ability guard center versatility they have to figure out the best three on the interior so that's like a question mark but assuming they do offensive line should be set should continue to be dominant this team's back seven went from god awful to very very good in like two years the addition of chauncey garner johnson means now you have Von Bell, Marcus Williams, and Chauncey as your three safeties. Chauncey's a very natural nickel player, so he'll get on the field a ton in the nickel. They got really good production out of Eli Apple last year, and obviously have Marshawn Lattimore on the other side. So huge improvements by those guys, and you can even say by a guy like P.J. Williams playing in the nickel. Don't forget, they have Patrick Robinson on that roster, was injured last year. He's going to come back and press the starting rotation. Their secondary is amazing. Linebacker-wise, I remember criticizing their linebackers when we previewed them. But those linebackers continue to play better and better and better week in, week out last year. And so I think you're perfectly fine going in, starting with Demario Davis and Alex Anzalone. And you're totally cool there. Like, it's not an overwhelmingly great linebacker roster, but it's totally fine for what they need. And then they got great play out of Sheldon Rankins. They're still getting great play out of Cameron Jordan. Malcolm Brown is killing it for them. It's Marcus Davenport. I just look and I say, if Marcus Davenport is going to turn in less than six sacks per season... They just don't have a dominant pass rush and they need to blitz, which Dennis Allen is fine with blitzing, but obviously it's more high risk, high reward. And when you meet a team like the Patriots, you can get screwed if you have to blitz. So they need Davenport yeah. to become something. But like with with Rankins, Cameron Jordan, and Malcolm Brown, if Davenport can't become something, I mean, what are we talking about? Right? Like like that yeah. that that playing next to those three and playing next to Malcolm Brown specifically should help him a ton. Yeah. I don't like I and I didn't love Davenport coming out. So that's the huge question. Besides that. Breeze in a contract year. They felt snubbed last year, so they're going to be very, very motivated. I think the Saints Saints are good. Anytime you bring up Rankins, I get happy because I think he's supremely underrated. So we're going to be talking more about the Saints in the offseason. I agree with Ben as far as like the, the general placement of the Eagles roster talent-wise. We're going to go through the Eye on the Enemy series, and I'm going to give a more definitive answer on being a coward right now. But when we come back here on the Kiss and Soul Lecture, we're going to be talking about how banged up the Eagles were compared to other teams in the in the history of the playoffs. That's next here on the Kist and Solak Show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And we are back here on the Kiston Solex Show, episode 95, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, let's dive right in to this topic, adjusted games lost by football outsiders. They do it every year. So what this takes into account, and I'll I'll just read it from their site. Quote, for those unfamiliar with adjusted games lost, We do not simply add up the number of games missed. 
we are able to quantify how much teams were affected by injuries based on two principles. One, injuries to starters, injury replacements, and important situational reserves. Two, injured players who do take the field are usually playing with reduced ability, which is why AGL is based not strictly on whether the player is active for the game or not, but instead based on the player's game status that week, out, doubtful, questionable, or probable slash blank. So they made some changes to this recently, but it's all pretty much been the same over the years. Now, where are the Eagles ranked? And this is really no surprise, but let's qualify why adjusted games loss is important. I'm not breaking any news when I say that injuries can derail any season and are important for a team to continue winning, especially when they get into the playoffs. But I look past through the last six years. This is all in the article on BleedingGreenNation.com. 72 teams have made the playoffs in the past six years. Their average ranking in adjusted games loss is 13. So one is really good. One means you're really healthy. 32 means you are terrible. Everyone is hurt, right? So of all those playoff teams, double the amount came from top 10 ranked teams in AGL, 40%. If you're in the bottom 10, you had a 21% chance to get into the playoffs. Out of the last 12 conference champions, nine of those teams that checked in on the top half in the league in AGL were the conference champions. Five of the last six Super Bowl champions came from the top half, healthiest teams. The lone exception, of course, being the New England Patriots last year, because anytime you run any sort of metric, the Patriots are always some sort of outlier and really have been an AGL throughout throughout the history. I mean, they haven't been a healthy team, but they got 12 and they got Belichick. Couldn't be less, couldn't be more (laughs) surprised. What a surprise. Right. So what I did was I looked at the Eagles The Eagles, their worst ranking in a long time. They've been pretty historically healthy in recent history. They ranked 31st in adjusted games loss in 2018. Now, we think of the 2017 Super Bowl as a pretty banged up season, and and it was. They lost some key contributors at key spots, but they ranked 13th that year. So while they did take some big hits, Darren Sproles, Jordan Hicks, Carson Wentz, Jason Peters, the 2018 season. It was Verdun. And it goes back Bodies to flying. the description of AGL, which is taking further into account the loss of, uh, not like bench guys, but like role players and backups. Because like, remember, Josh Hawkins was covering Amari Cooper. Like, just remember that. <laughs> and that's how you'll know 2018 was beleaguered by injury. Yeah, exactly. And you've got guys like Hicks missing games, Nada missing games, Barnett missing games. Like, it, it was every, McLeod is out. It was every level the of the offense team it was the whole team that was affected by injury so they ranked 31st now now what does that mean when i look through the adjusted games loss history i could not find a more banged up team from their agl rating because they spit out a number two their their agl rating was 118.5 the closest team to that in recent history was the 2015 washington redskins 119.1. They ranked 31st that year as well. Mm-hmm. They were one and done in the playoffs. The Eagles won their playoff game. The Eagles, from what I can tell, and I went back to 2010, I, I went, I, I spot checked some other years and it, and it wasn't even close. To me, it looks like in the history of adjusted games lost for football outsiders, Which is the, decade. the Eagles were the most banged up team in at least the last decade to win a playoff game, which is wild and what's even crazier and you can add this along with it frank reich indianapolis colts they ranked 30th last year in adjusted games loss just two points lower than the eagles they also won a playoff game so you have the doug peterson coaching tree right just out here killing it howie roseman making good choices was, left and right but who this was 32nd last year who was the worst ultimate worst was the tampa bay buccaneers oh, shout awful, out tampa. awful team 
they were so beat up and also bad. And they didn't have the talent on the roster be, to be able to withstand those injuries and soldier ahead, unlike the Eagles, which right. goes toward what we've been talking that's about. That's right. That's the very interesting question. I want I want to hear what your thought is, and I want to see if we're going to argue. So you brought up the Colts and the and the the Eagles, the two teams that have won a playoff game despite having a really bad score in this metric. Obviously, Frank Reich and Doug Peterson, there's the the link there, but also you have general managers and Chris Ballard and Howie Roseman who are viewed as some of the better managers in the league. If you had to, gun to your head, to whom do you give at least the lion's share of the credit, the majority of the credit, the personnel staff for the ability to replace those guys or the coaching staff for the ability to adjust to the losses? See, it's interesting because the Colts, I don't think we're an overly talented team. I don't think like they their starting roster did not look like the Eagles starting roster to me. So I think the, the the Colts were the least, were the lesser talented team coming into the season. So I give a lot of credit to Frank Reich there. So man, you're really putting me in a tough spot with this. I mean, I'm going to answer as well. So we're both in a tough spot. I think it starts with Howie Roseman for the Eagles. And obviously, look, we're talking about two big time extreme situations that require greatness on both sides. But if I were to have to give more credit, I would give... Howie Rosemore more credit on the roster construction side, and then I would give Frank Reich more credit for what he did with a much less talented roster in Indianapolis as mm-hmm. far as the coaching job done, not taking anything away from Doug Peterson. What what would you say? Yeah, so to me, it, it comes back to the the general manager and the pro scouting side of things. And that's and I, I shouldn't even say pro scouting because for Philadelphia, they got a lot of contributions from like UDFAs and stuff like that. But it comes back down to being able to identify players in the market who will be at their most successful in your system. And you can plug in with at least scheduled and scripted changes, if not the least amount of changes to what you're going to do possible. And so that way they can step in and at least be situational players. And like, you know, we beleaguer Corey Graham on this podcast. We've had a great time doing it. We've made a lot of money over the past few years, just being mean to a man who we've never met in Corey Graham. (laughs) <laughs> but Graham's knowledge of Schwartz's system allows them to not change as much when he's on the field. And while we easily remember the plays like 4th and 15 against Tennessee, well, it's important to note, like, Graham out there playing the flat and cover two is just not what he typically does. He did it wrong, and that was stupid. A veteran never should, not excusing it. But Graham's ability to just play in, in Schwartz's system, knowing Schwartz's terminology and understanding his role, is objectively valuable because you don't have to change as much. And so the defense can stay coherent. And it's the breakdowns that don't happen with some other players that right. we saw this last year that make him more valuable than them. Right. Sure. And so I think that that coherency, and I think that's the word that I really want to hone in on, is the most important part about replacing injured players. I will say, and this is a really interesting conversation for the Eagles specifically, kind of putting the Colts off to the side. How much does Howie Roseman create that problem by always attacking the market on oft-injured players? Like, he goes and gets Jay Ajayi cheap, but why did nobody else want Jay Ajayi? Because Ajayi gets injured a lot. And guess what? Ajayi gets injured for all of the 2018 season, and the Eagles are strong and adjusted games lost. But Roseman went out and got the guy on the cheap, knowing he gets injured sometimes, and prepared for eventually losing him. Now, now I, I'm going to take issue with that. With Jay Ajayi, I don't think the issue was he was injured much. And I got to let's I got to check how many games he played throughout his career. Well, the, but I don't the remember was him always the missing. fear that he had bad knees. Right. Okay. So there was the long term concern. So I I agree with it in that sense. Um, it's not like the Eagles could have moved on from Jordan Hicks because he was there in the roster. But like Hicks falling into the third round in the 2015 NFL draft was due in large part to the fact that he had some struggles staying healthy. Ronald Darby 
missed one game in 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 his rookie season, two games in his final season. The Eagles trade for him. Now he's had two season-ending injuries, or not season-ending, but significant chunks. Darby's never played a 16-game season, and the and the Eagles just yeah. brought him back on a one-year deal. You know what I mean? So the Eagles are very fine getting injury-prone players on the cheap. And so like the Eagles yeah. slightly create this problem for themselves, which is totally fine. Did you mention Alshon Jeffrey who had just a long history? Right. Of- Another great one, which, and then Alshon turned out to be relatively healthy. Obviously missed the first three games this year. That gets put into the formula, but also played a whole season on a torn rotator on, right. cuff. So it's not like he didn't get hurt when he was here. He Which just played through it. Brings us back to an interesting conversation. 2017 plays a whole season on a torn rotator cuff is very good in the playoffs. After the Super Bowl, the Eagles move on from their medical staff. You said regularly they were pretty good in this metric, and then all of a sudden they move yeah. on from their medical staff after the 2017 season. What happened to 2018? 31st with the new medical yeah. staff, which received heavy, heavy fire in large part due to the Carson Wentz back vertebra situation. First in 2013, they were fifth in 2014, sixth in 2015, fourth in 2016. 13th in 2017, then all the way to 31st after they make the change in the medical staff. Now, is it just bad injury luck? Like, what is that? Like, injury is unquestionably a random enough occurrence that one year is not enough time to be like, it's because the medical staff changed. But that's yeah. fascinating to me. That's very, very... <laughs> yeah. what are we, what's going on here, team? If things start to go that way again... Mm-hmm. Then you're going, what the heck are we doing? Because, I mean, it only lasts for so long. I, I, you know, the Colts right. had bad luck for a couple of years. The Chargers were famously awful in that area for a few years. Just awful injury luck. The Redskins have to be terrible, right? Because the Redskins play on FedEx fields eight games a year. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that field is awful. So we get that. But we don't have that kind of field. So what is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, right. That's fascinating. And now, and, and of course, we have to be careful with what exactly the signal is here. Because... Is this is the Eagles' good numbers a signal of a good medical staff who kept players healthy, or as was the complaints about that medical staff with misdiagnosis, is it a signal of a staff that told players their injuries were less than they were, so and then you know kept them on the field when maybe they should have taken time off? Because that's part of AGL is part of the reporting system that goes along with it, and the right. reporting system and what players were hearing from the medical staff was fired on by some of the former players. Emmanuel Acho was one of them. Earl Wolf was another. Jordan Matthews said it. Yes. And so, so that's a, a whole different discussion. Yeah, that's, that's a whole different can of worms. Um, <laughs> but no, it is very interesting. And and right, when we talk about the strength of Philadelphia's roster, and I call them the number two roster in the league, what Philadelphia has that's really, really tremendously exciting is great, great, great depth. And you look at corner, yeah. you look at defensive line, you look at offensive line, you look at wide receiver, the four positions that stick out to me in terms of like, this team can bear injuries at those positions and put in guys who started for them in the last couple of years and gave them good reps in those last couple of years. And like as starters, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and, and that's, that's, that's a very exciting proposition because when you play 19 games, you know, like the Eagles play like 19 games on a Super Bowl run, potentially 20 games on a Super Bowl run. You're going to be beat up by the time you get there. You're going to have starters who yeah. are down. So you need you need to be deep and you need to be cognizant of that. The one area where the depth is not tested, that's a big question mark, is a quarterback. Let's talk about how coaching for a second can totally nullify great results in adjusted games loss because... I love this one. I love this one. In the last eight years, the only team to rank the healthiest in the NFL to miss the playoffs... The 2016 Los Angeles Rams with Jeff Fisher at the helm. That's what bad coaching 
can do for you, gentle listeners. Ben, I forget when I saw that, I was like, oh, there's no way I'm not putting this in the article. I don't even care if it's relevant. You have to go back to 2010 with Todd Haley as the Kansas City Chiefs coach for a team that ranked first that missed the playoffs. Like that should be a lock if you have any idea what you're doing as a head coach, in my opinion. Now, listen, especially if you're like, come on. It is worth (laughs) saying. I mean, they were at a tremendous disadvantage in 2016. Because they had just moved on from Nick Foles as their starting quarterback and moved to Jared Goff. And so it's not surprising that they were so such a huge drop-off in quarterback play led to such an <laughs> aberrative season. Um, it does, it does. I mean, the Eagles were healthy that year, too, and missed the playoffs. They were fourth in the league and still right. missed the playoffs. It, new team, all that stuff. But, like, rookie Jeff Fisher, that, that rookie season for rookie quarterbacks. Also, a rookie season for Doug Peterson, too. Yeah. Jeff Fisher ain't no spring chicken, man. He's He's been around it. He should be able to overcome those well, things. Jeff and, Fisher should have been able to do a lot of things, given how long he was in the league. <laughs> but, um... And this, this again, introduces us into a larger conversation. You know um, uh, Sean, our favorite punter analytics guy on Twitter, Sean Seebeck? Yes. Yeah, so I was reading Seabeck, something yep. he put up, uh, he put together. I was reading it yesterday. He sent it over to me about how to find competitive advantages outside of coaching because there's one Belichick and there's 32 head coaching gigs. And so if you try to find Belichick, you're just not going to work. It's right. not like, like if you're going to find Belichick, you're going to be lucky. And so you shouldn't base the success of your team on luck. You know what I mean? So it's how do you find coaching advantages outside of of just like hiring the right head coach? So it's a lot of conversation about what to do for your your uh, your scouting staff and your pro scouting staff and, and, and preparing for weekly opponents. And it's really interesting. But one of the overarching themes that we can extrapolate and put into here is there's a cap on, on what money you can spend on players. There's not a cap on what you can spend on coaches. So fill out an incredible coaching staff with a ton of bodies in there if you're an ambitious owner with a lot of money who wants to win because nobody's going to stop you and you're going to have a better coaching staff yeah. just by virtue of the number of bodies. Listen, there's no cap on what money you can spend on your health and, and nutrition and injury and doctors. And if in the past eight years, the best team has gone to the playoffs seven out of eight times, well then be the healthiest team. Invest yeah. heavily in that. And you've clearly increased, just looking at this one data point, obviously, you know, we can make a much more comprehensive regression, but just at this one data point, you can clearly increase your likelihood of making the playoffs if you really, really invest. And so it's important to look outside of the cap limited structure of spending, i.e. players, and find the other competitive advantages, such as your, your doctors, your nutritionists, and your trainers. And what's interesting, too, is we know and we've heard from from people that the Eagles pretty much have a blank check when it comes to analytics. And part of those analytics are player tracking. And that player tracking goes into monitoring players and making sure that you're avoiding these injuries. Now, if that's the case, it definitely didn't work last year. But is the process good or was it bad luck? And that's something that we're eventually going to have to find throughout this process Uh, And hopefully it gets better for the Eagles because if they're a relatively healthy team, especially in the top half of the league, with the way that we've talked about this roster being set up, we 100% expect a serious run at this thing. So, Ben, I think that's going to do it for today's Kissed and Solak show. Would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kissed and Solak show here on BGN Radio. I don't know about y'all. I love these sort of pods because I just like talking about general football theory. It's a lot of fun. And so I hope that you enjoyed it as well. Of course, the articles that we mentioned, you can find at Bleeding Green Nation. Uh, it's up there and you can get a read through for those. And you can always bicker with us on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. And at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. If you enjoyed the podcast or any of the podcasts on the network, which listen to Jersey Number Analytics and you will enjoy the podcasts that are on the network, I can guarantee it. 
uh, go ahead and leave a rating or review or subscription on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Cough, just do iTunes. And especially because since we're in the off season, we're going to probably read more reviews because uh, we're going to have more time to fill. And so we're more likely to read your review, especially if it's funny. Uh, so go ahead and leave a rating or review and a five-star subscription only. Uh, we're probably close to a thousand five-stars at this point, which that's a silly sentence, but it's an exciting sentence. Uh, off-season content will continue to come your way. There's no way we're stopping or even slowing down for the fact that there is no football. So make sure you stay subscribed. Keep it locked on here. All the good jazz. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye forever. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.